Hi guys, welcome back to Infinite Possibilities, the podcast where we explore the lives of amazing people, their choices, challenges and opportunities. And today I have a very special guest, Vikesh. Hello. Hello, Karen. Thank you very much for inviting me to your show. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. It's a really big honour to have you on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, so Vikesh, what do you do? What's your kind of one minute introduction? So I'm lecturer, assistant professor in Business Information System Group, UQ Business School. So my main research area and teaching relates to business analytics and data analytics. Yeah, yeah. sounds yes. awesome. So we really want to know how Vikesh became so cool. So we're going to start right from the beginning. So Vikesh, what kind of child were you like growing up? And where were you born? So I was born in a hospital. In yeah, wow, <laughs> wow, hospital, yes. no home birth, yeah. very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was born in Biratnagar. That's, uh, that used to be the second biggest city in Nepal, now it's fifth biggest city. And I was brought up in Biratnagar, studied, did my school, high school there. Yeah. Then I completed my bachelor's from Kathmandu. And after that, I went for abroad studies. I came to Finland in 2009 and mm-hmm. did my master's degree, my PhD. And in 2022, I moved to Australia as a lecturer in UQ Business School. So this has been my journey so far. Wow, the whole life story. And we're gonna go and backtrack and take every little step. So I wanna know more about your personality growing up. Were you a very cheeky child? Were you very inquisitive? Did you love reading? What were your hobbies kind of thing? Yeah, this I love to speak about, yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of shy, lacking in confidence. Yeah. So I'm not so well-performing student when I was young. (laughs) Nice. So, not good with the studies. I didn't know what I was doing or why I was learning. And I started to explore and learn more about myself when I grew. Yeah. So, when I grew up, so I learned that, okay, mathematics is interesting. I was oh. always interested towards science, yeah. general knowledge. And there were some subjects that I never understood why I was learning. <laughs> so, but you have to in the school. Yeah. And as a child, I was curious, actually. And yeah had a good memory, yeah. at least from what I remember. If I was interested, I would remember. Yeah. And it was very difficult for me to get interested in things. That oh. was another issue. Wow. And yeah, I was a bit kind of angry, outrageously angry. Wow. As a child. Yeah. Uh, not so disciplined. Yeah. And not interested in studying at all. Wow. Uh, and but then it, did, it didn't mean that I was not interested in reading anything, yeah. mostly like not not the course book, definitely. I would yeah. read something else. But I, I used to like reading short stories. Yeah. They would excite me. Our novels were too long and boring for me. Yeah. I never got habit of reading <laughs> novels. I do I I, I lack patience for yeah. reading novel. Yeah. So I, I, as as a person I think I have changed a lot. A lot. No longer shy, right? Yeah, uh, still a little bit shy. <laughs> more, more confident than yeah. I used to be. And uh, developing habit of reading papers, at least I enjoy that. Wow, yeah. come a long way. Yeah, it's gone a long way and still curious. I think I have become more curious yeah. as, I, as I've grown up. Yeah, yeah. And how did you become less shy? How did you grow in confidence for our audience? How does one become confident like Bikesh? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, actually, this is a really interesting question. I used to be in uh, one school when I was until grade six. Yeah. Below average, never performing well, and then 
opportunity school uh, suddenly I found myself doing well yeah. and it's it's almost like a story of like success breeds success yeah once you get uh, start things uh, doing well yeah. then that gives you more confidence and you start to develop yeah. confidence moving forward and then I need to credit one of my psychology teachers he taught yeah. us psychology in my bachelor's and she helped me to understand how things work in like how our brain works and oh. how to improve your personality and so on. Yeah, that's yeah. so interesting. And so you said that, um, you know, turning, like changing schools was like a turning point for you. Was it that you went from a, like in one school that where academics wasn't taken so seriously and then you went to another one where everyone was really studious and that kind of like rubbed off on you or? Oh, it's exactly opposite. <laughs> the first school I was, there were like 50 students in class. I was like lingering around mid-average point or below average. Yeah. Then I went to a school which was considered downgraded school. Like, uh, let's say it was considered, but actually it was not. Yeah. So I would find myself with the people with like a, at a similar level like me. Yeah. Then all of a sudden I, I could say, okay, I can do well. Yeah. So I started doing well. And then also I started trying a lot of things, right, that I didn't try before, like let's say, I never uh, gave any speech or tried uh, debating yeah. or writing poems or anything like those kind of competitions. So I started to participate in those competitions when I was in grade six and I started to become successful. I started to win th yeah. those competitions. Congratulations. Uh, winning helps, being successful helps. Yeah, it feels Definitely. good. And yeah. you, you want to like, once you've got one success, you want the next. And the next, and it goes on like that. Yeah. And then, by the time I was in grade nine, I started participating in quiz contest, and I have won a bunch of them. Yeah. So that that builds your confidence, like it, at yeah. least it's, it drives you. It's a hunger. Yeah, and you have that past backlog of yeah. If I can do this, maybe I can do this. Uh, yeah, definitely. Wow, that's so beautiful. Yeah. You know, you created your like created a new identity for yourself. Yes, so. definitely. Yeah, I, I was almost unrecognizable yeah. from what I was in the child versus when I like grew up in my adulthood. Yeah. Like as a person, I, I transformed quite a bit. Yeah, that's so awesome. Can I ask you, did you have siblings growing up? Yes. Were you the youngest? No, I was the oldest. Oldest? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, wow, so not the responsible older brother, no? Well, I was responsible. I, it's really difficult to de uh, describe my childhood. Yeah. A bit reckless, a bit yeah. careless. Yeah. Still, I I still lack that eye for details, yeah. like I'm fine. But then again, I need to get into my own zone. Once I get that, then I, I'm really like careful, can get things done. But yeah. it, as I told you, it it's the it's difficulty hard. is to get in that zone. It's not like executing there. It's yeah. just being there, starting there. And can I ask you, so like um, there was you as kind of like the rebel and then didn't care about school and then you at school also like winning competitions, trying new things. If you were to compare these two versions, was one like happier than the other? Because when you're reckless, so much freedom, right? Yeah. Or was it kind of like a, just because of the low self-esteem? And then when you were winning stuff, was it just you were just becoming more like a people pleaser and then getting like the validation from your peers? So. We, we, who, like, um, Bikesh won, Bikesh two, who was happier? <laughs> actually, to be honest, even then I was doing so well in like quiz and other things. Yeah. Academically, I was still like, you know, kind of, you know, 
I will do well only when I care kind of <laughs> attitude. I would do well when I really wanted to do well. Yeah. Most of the time, I would not want to do. And I had, I developed a lot of confidence that I always knew I can do well if I want to. Yeah. So that kind of attitude. But again, while I was doing well, like when I was winning, when I was, I was getting some success, it was about how I feel about myself. It was never about validation. Wow. It never drove me. I never, so good. Yeah. So it all was like I was setting a goal for myself, target, and then achieving that would give me immense satisfaction. Yeah. That, that feeling was unbeatable. And it was never about like what people thought, okay, what they said. It was all about myself. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of awesome because yeah. I love how you sort of had like a lot of independence as a kid as in like if you couldn't convince yourself why you should care you're not going to care no matter how much the parents push you yeah. and you're very much your own person which is very like nice but it's also probably like hard for your parents like oh, that little rebel <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a difficult child right I, yeah. I would struggle to handle a child like myself yeah really difficult yeah, and so just kind of wondering, being that kind of reckless, like kind of cool kid, did that make you popular? Like, yeah. I don't <laughs> How know. Did you... I, I, I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know. I feel like when you're like in primary school, being a rebel does make you kind yeah, of cool. Well, rebel would be like a really kind of outrageously incorrect because I was, as I mentioned, Sai, not so outspoken. Yeah. And yeah, inner rebel. <laughs> would almost go in unnoticed. Yeah. Know? Oh, that's kind of uh, cool. Yeah. And so when you're younger, like in high school, like what did you envision for yourself in terms of career slash what did your parents want you to do? See, in Nepal, like in the developing country especially, everybody wants their children to be a doctor yeah. or engineer. Uh, when I grew up, when I was young, Space really excited me. I thought that I mm. want to be a, like go to space, study about space. Yeah. Wanted to be a pilot, and then okay, I thought that okay, maybe that's not for me. When I started like going for high school, I thought that maybe I'll be go for engineering, and then at some point of time, I lost interest, and I was not <laughs> sure about what I want to do after I finished my high school. Then I thought it doesn't matter because as long as you do well, no matter what you do, uh. it's fine. That's so then I started like studying business, and I thought I will do well in business. Then I I moved to Finland. I studied. I continued to study information systems. Yeah. So there was never like one target that I wanted to achieve. It was always a moving target. Yeah. yeah. And why did you choose like business? Did you think it was easy, good grades, or what was kind of the rationale? So at one point of time, I I felt like okay, I had a very low and bad phase during my high school plus two where actually I failed in one of the subject chemistry before that I, f I felt like I would never fail even if I don't st study because I was too confident mm. I would do well then that gave me a life lesson that if you don't work hard if you're yeah. really confident taking things for granted yeah, if you start to take things for granted you are definitely going to fail yeah. that hit my confidence confidence badly and if I wanted to go for engineering, I had to wait for one year. And uh, given my mental state, I was not ready to spend another one year. I wanted to go into right away. And I was with the thought, I want to, I can't do anything. I want, I will do whatever I will do, but I will do it really well. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Then 
my best friend he joined <laughs> business administration administration and at that point of time i had no idea what what business administration was yeah. i said okay i'm going to do that <laughs> yeah but it was not well thought of decision or like anything to be proud of yeah but, but i mean you just found a goal and then you just worked towards yeah. it and you just kind of randomly picked yeah kind of thing yeah and i think that, that, that that's the thing that i have learned you know they, whenever you are making decision, there are two aspects of it. So first thing is that whether you pick a correct one or not, so you can make a mistake. And second thing is that how well you can back up. Mm. So sometimes you and you can say whether the decision is correct or not only after seeing the results. So there are two things that's, that's really important. And I did really bad at the first thing. <laughs> picking up things mindlessly, but I really did well in the second phase, like while executing it. Yeah. And sometimes you can correct the course of action later on. Yeah, but yeah. that's so good because sometimes it's more important to just like take the first step. Otherwise, yeah. you kind of sit on the fence all day and yeah. do nothing. And the worst decision is something like, you know, you don't pick anything. That's the worst yes, thing you can yes, do. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, that's so good. Tell me about the decision to to move to Finland. Was that a well thought out decision? Well, that was amazingly well thought out decision. Wow, yes. wow, what Definitely. a change. Yeah. So that decision, I really knew what I was doing and what I wanted to do. So uh, I could not afford going to US and I had no idea like how, what kind of scholarship you could get. Or I only knew about MBA programs. I did not know about master's program. Mm. So I lacked enough information to make a right decision. <laughs> Given the but, limited information. Yeah. But the information I had is that in Europe, there are top universities that offers you uh, free educations. Yes. And I knew uh, Finland had one of the best school, Helsinki School of Business. Yeah. Helsinki School of Economics, actually. Yeah. And I wanted to go there. So when I was in bachelor's second year, not uh, the beginning of the second year. I told myself, okay, I'm going to go to Helsinki School of Economics yeah. for my master's. Yeah. And I thought about it for like almost like three years. Wow. And then I decided to go there. So it was a well-thought decision. Yeah. Wow. And did it meet your expectations? Because you were dreaming about it for three years. So yeah. you must well, have built it up to be this grand palace. <laughs> actually, actually it was. Oh. Now, I think that my, my, fir my first experience of like being in Helsinki School School of Economics is like the programs are so different. You know, in Nepal, you would be given say the semester one five course, semester two five course. Yeah. They were like a rigid structure that you would follow, mm -hmm. which is easy. Then I I was in, when I was in Helsinki School of Economics, it was almost like being in buffet where you have <laughs> four hundred courses to choose it. choose from, and you don't know what to choose and where it leads. So oh. that was the time I realized. Freedom is difficult to handle. It's freedom yes. means responsibility. Now I am responsible for making a right decision to pick a right thing, to pick a right courses. So I started talking with like professors and everyone, like what course would lead me where, what like what kind of package, yeah. so how to package those courses together. And that was a challenging thing. But in terms of meeting expectation, definitely it did. I, I think it was a wonderful place. I learned a lot of things. There were, good courses, good teachers. So at least, and it's, it was free. Yeah, uh, and so And the best good. part is like, it was a free university. And even if it was not free, it's, it's one of the best places to study. Yeah. Because I could do a lot of courses and there was no restrictions. Wow. 
wow. And so how did you end up choosing your majors for your masters? I started with information systems major, but the problem was not choosing the major. The problem was choosing the courses, putting together courses. So you would oh, you were given yeah. three stream of a course, and then you have to decide how you put together. So I started to carefully pick course, and I made uh, early mistakes. So I picked a couple of courses that were quite hard, and I could not do well on those courses. I had to drop. Then I said, okay, I will start picking more courses. So I started picking up eight courses and completing five to six of those in like uh, one period. And then I, I completed quite a bunch of courses. The more courses than I would need, then I, once I've completed that course, I would know what the course would look, look like. And then I would pick the right ones to form my majors. So that was my approach. Oh, wow. So you picked extra courses. Yes, I did a lot of extra courses. Wow. Yeah. Just for the love of the pure just, interest. Yeah, just to learn, okay, what's that? Okay, does it make sense? Like to include in my major, how does that will look like? Oh, so were you saying that you try like a lot of different courses and then you drop it before? Yeah, but then I also completed more courses than I had to for master's program. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so you base you based it just off your interest, not like... Because I know like a lot of students and friends, they would, you know, base it off easy grades, but that was never kind of no, a thought that no, came in your head. No, I dropped course because some of the course because they were too difficult. It's not because I was, at first I felt really bad because I failed and yeah. uh, going into bachelor's, I was already doing well academically and I have developed so much confidence. I felt that if I worked really hard, I would pass virtually any course in the world. Yeah. But then. Shortly when I started my master's, I realized how incorrect I was because <laughs> there were a lot of things in this world that I would not know. Yeah. And then some of the courses were like, you know, starting in the middle of the road. So where you would you take one step forward, then you realize you don't know what happened ten step backward. And then you have to just yeah. review the concepts backward and forward. And it all of a sudden, it blew out of proportion and it was difficult to handle. And then I realized if you don't have a relevant background, yeah. it's pretty easy to fail the course. And if you start to take difficult courses, you'll start to fail. So it's not a bad thing. So yeah. then I realized you fail not only because you did not work hard or you didn't you fail. If you take, if you try something that is difficult, if you set yourself outside the comfort zone, it's pretty normal to fail. So then, at least then, I when I when I got into that mentality, and I started to pick other courses, build my background, yeah. do the started to work on my basics and so on. Yeah, so yeah. almost like playing to your strengths at Strength, the end. Yeah, at the end, yeah. So I did. I never picked a course just because it was easy for a grade or something. Yeah. 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 Whoa. Good on you. Yeah. And then tell me about like when did you sort of start thinking about a PhD and decide that hmm maybe this research pathway looks interesting. Yeah, when I was doing my masters, I was also working in the department as a teaching and research assistant, and I was talking with uh, postdocs and as the professor there, and Ankur Sina was really instrumental in motivating me for going for PhD. And then I had a friend called uh, Vilik. And Ville Halabo, he also motivated me to go for a PhD. Yeah. And I was thinking about going for a PhD. Then I was also, I also thought of joining consulting company yeah. until I realized that consulting is less of academics. It's more of like executing the templates and it it's more like superficial. Yeah. I applied for 10 different jobs and got rejected. And then I was asked, what's your skill? 
then I didn't know what a skill I had. Yeah. I had a lot of knowledge, but in terms of concrete skill, maybe if I was asked the same question now, I could answer that question really nicely at that time. I yeah. had some skill, but I didn't. Then I realized, okay, I need some hard skill. I need to do something concrete. And it's not just about knowledge, you need more skills. So I thought that, okay, I will go for a PhD program and then I'll do go for a PhD in quantitative methods so that I will wow. learn some skills. And then that's how I picked up, uh, decided to go for a PhD program because I realized that I was not good enough after finishing master's. Aww. I still need to learn more. Yeah, and yeah. then tell me, how does one survive a PhD? <laughs> Persistence. <laughs> was that like... You know, you've done your bachelor's, you've done your master's. Was PhD like by far the hardest? Oh yeah, easily, easily, oh. definitely. Because I think what's the difference between bachelor's and master's is that when you're like uh, until a master's student, you work in a concrete pro problem, right? Yeah. You start your problem is well defined. You work in like a very, you know, concrete space where you have yeah. a defined problem. You need very structured structure. already. And but you know, when you go into PhD program, it's a little bit unstructured, you work in abstract space. You start from finding problem, and then, so you don't know what is the problem, and then you yeah. are trying to look for the solution, and then also make sure that both problem and solution are compatible, and they make sense. It, 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 it requires a different cognitive capabilities, you know. You need to be able to work with abstract thing, you yeah. be more creative. It's a different kind of skill than what you need in master's degree and be more creative, improve your in-depth understanding. And that takes some training and some work. And during the PhD program, I think my colleagues and friends were really, really helpful just yeah. for uh, showing me the right way, right direction. Uh, it's, it's the thought process that is difficult and it takes time. Yeah, and then how do you come up with the title with the question of what you want to answer? Do, do the teachers you know, lead you and then you sort of go from there or, because it starts like, oh, you don't know what you're going to write your thesis on. So it's almost like, you know, uh, think about this, writing paper is like, we want to build a road. Yeah. You say that, okay, let's build a beautiful road that connects the two beautiful villages. Then you start to find what is two beautiful villages, where are these, yeah. what kind of road, how long is that road, and so on. So that's, it's a, you start with a broad area of some idea. You start with an idea that is broader and it's related to problem, and then you start to understand the problem in deeper, then you start to look for a solution, and that's how research works. And sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> because after all, at the end of the day, it's a research, right? You might get some solution that is not as per expectation or that doesn't tell you anything yeah. about the problem. Yeah, that would yeah. be really sucky. Yeah. Yeah. Is PhD a really lonely journey? If only you make it, it's oh. not actually. So if you are good with, the, if you're social, if you if you can communicate with your peers, your colleagues, and then you need to have a really good support, then it's not lonely at all. But the thing is that at the end of the day, the problem you're dealing with is with you, your, like the problem you're trying to solve is yours, and you need to work really well. And you, even though you work in team, you need to have that ability to work independently. Yeah. So that's the reason why people think it's uh, like a lonely job, but yeah. it's actually not. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because yeah, I think that, yeah, when you're doing a PhD, you're doing something so niche that, like, even if you, like, try to tell your friends, they wouldn't really 
understand what you're doing. Like, you're just kind of invested in your work, doing a very, like, yeah, finding something very niche that no one understands. So, uh, actually, I would disagree a little bit on that mm. one because you're, you're working with the people, those are really smart. Those people are really smart. Yeah. They do understand the broader research context, what does yeah. it mean. But it's mainly your um, supervisor your that supervisor, understands. Yeah. And then, but then again, if you talk with any researcher, they might not give you uh, depth, in-depth or like detailed idea, but they do understand what you're talking about. Yeah. And then there will be free other colleagues or postdocs who are in the same department at least who have some, who have some kind of understanding of that. But don't expect somebody to give you solution on your hand. Yeah. yeah. You need to find, you need to work on that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And then you also talked about, you know, working as a research assistant and then later you graduated to working as a researcher. So how was that kind of transition? Research assistant is, is your job. You just do what you are, you are told. And as a researcher, then you decide what to do. You also decide what you need wow, to do. Wow, it sounds yeah. like, you know, master's to PhD yes, transition. Exactly. It's kind of the same, hey? Almost same. Yeah, and then what about being a postdoctorate researcher? <laughs> well, that's not a big tr transition from being PhD student, to be honest. Yeah. This not in my case. So it's just a continuation of what you were doing. So it's more like after PhD, if you need more time to complete your paper, to gain more experience before you land your academic job, the postdoc is almost like a breeze in between PhD to uh, academic job. Well, academic job is a big jump. Mm. Th that's a massive jump. Yeah. But the, the postdoc to PhD is almost like, at least I did not feel much of a difference. The only difference was I was more relaxed, less nervous because I've already completed PhD. Yeah. The sword is not hanging above your hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you already have the degree and everything yeah yeah uh, it's more relaxing more pleasant oh so it's yeah. like without the pressure of phd yeah. <laughs> pretty much yeah. you're yeah. doing the same thing or like even more but without the pressure of like uh, d uh, getting the dissertation out or like yeah. the uncertainty yeah. yeah yeah and you know when you were a postdoctorate researcher were you sick of doing research at this point or were you like oh my gosh more research well, if that was the case, I would be in, in the industry already. Yeah, so, so how, how does one keep loving research? So you keep on working on different ideas, different papers. So it's more about like, you, you know, keeping yourself. It's more about being curious about the problem and the solution. Yeah. yeah. So it's, that's how you keep on taking, uh, you're interested in research. And remember that each research project is different. Each research project comes with different sets of challenges and a different set of problems. So you just keep on continuing working Always on Always something that. to learn. <laughs> but, but think about that. that uh, that's the same case in most of the job, right? You do the yeah. similar thing every day and yeah. you still keep yourself motivated. And yeah. I think compared to the industrial job, it's easier to keep yourself motivated, at least in research, because you're working on different kind of problems. And oh. You keep on moving from there and you yeah. learn more about the problem, more about the domain easy each year. Yeah. So that, that like each time you work in a paper, you learn something new. Yeah. Wow. Cool. <laughs> and then tell me about the move to Australia and how that happened. Oh yeah, that's a big move, and I never thought of like coming to Australia. Yeah. And I was in Hawaii Hicks conference, and my friend Tapani came and told yeah. me, "Hey, we have a job opening in our department. Why don't you apply? Yeah. Apply for it." And then. 
I got another email from my one of my thesis examiner. He said that there's opening in Australia in University of Queensland and you should apply for that one. And same afternoon, I met my thesis advisor, Mati Rossi, and he said that there's an opening in UQ Business School. It's good for you. And oh. then, okay, then I decided uh, to apply for the job, and I had a chat with Martin, yeah. Martin Rissuis, and he was here. And that's why that's how I applied for the job. And then I had an interview, which went pretty well. Wow. And then COVID happened. Oh, <laughs> no. It was in, and there was a bit of, a period of uncertainty yeah. because of COVID and I signed a work contract in May 2020 or something like that then we had to wait for a while yeah. before coming here it's a ma it was a massive move not an easy one yeah and then but finally yeah, I'm here yeah that's yeah. so awesome but that's awesome that like you know as soon as you you know heard about this opportunity in Australia. You were like so down for it. You were just so interested. You didn't you didn't have that like feel of, you know, moving to a new country and all that different uncertainty. Were you scared? Yeah. Actually, I was uh, I was never scared of moving to a different place, new place. Yeah. I just want I wanted to explore. Yeah, you were hungry. Place, yeah, and wanted to see actually and what I was I what I always felt is if you move, if you're mobile, yeah. it helps in your growth. Yeah, it, it moves you outside your comfort zone. You are forced to learn new things, and then you you become, you grow as a person. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I, I was always excited about moving to a new place, and then I had my colleague like Tatmani, whom yeah. I already knew from my masters. So it was it was an easy decision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so much better when you like have a friend here already. Yeah, definitely, it makes a massive difference. Yeah, that's so cool. And then tell me about the day in the life working for UQ. You know, you know, like how many courses do you teach? And then like how do you sort of, um, you know, do your research and then also do the teaching and etc. Yeah, in UQ I teach three different courses. Like you, you teach three courses per year. Mm. And then last year I taught in both semester, but this year I'm trying to teach most of the courses already in the first semester so that I have more time for research. Yeah. Is uh, compared to being a postdoc or a PhD student, it's more challenging to find time for research when you are in academic position because you are no more just a PhD student. You are dealing yeah. with multiple things. You need to supervise people. Then you have uh, like uh, you, you need to supervise thesis, master's thesis or PhD thesis, and then you need to be involved in a lot of service roles, yeah. work with service role, and then you have course to teach. To take care of and so many things going on and so many learning. things that distract yeah. you from research yeah. and then there is a then you have moved to new new country new place where you have bunch of things that you need to learn yeah there are different things that you need to take care of like my first few months i was not productive in research at all i felt like a dart board where the arrows are coming from all different yeah. directions which you have to take care but then Slowly, I started to settle down, and then I think uh, getting time for research is becoming easier. And now I'm trying to separate a block of time, at least for research that time, just uh, focusing on my research and doing not, not, I don't want to do any other things at that time. So yeah. I, you need that to progress in uh, research. And yeah, it's challenging at least compared to what, uh, how it was when you were in a doctoral student or like a postdoc student. Yeah, so many things to juggle. Yeah. Definitely. It requires the task, ability to 
juggle multiple things and the most challenging thing is to for making a transition from one work to another work so when yeah. you're working with multiple people so it does have some cost like cognitive cost you need, yeah, to, it does. You need to be in one zone for one paper and then suddenly be ready for the teaching and then after that and yeah. then you have series of meetings and so on to get, take care yeah, that's so true. It's kind of like restarting the car each yeah, time yeah, definitely. to get in the zone. There's like yeah. that five, ten minutes before you know what you're doing. True, <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah, and so um, do you have like a preference in terms of like the teaching side of things or more the research? Everyone has a sort of natural inclination to what they like a bit more. Oh, uh, I, would, I would prefer research. Like different, I, I, I like teaching also, but yeah. if I have to choose research. one, I'm, I'll be more inclined towards research. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. cool. And then how do you sort of plan your day? Because you have a lot of, do you have a lot of flexibility as a lecturer? Yes, uh, the, uh, our work arrangement is pretty flexible. Yeah. Yeah, so it's almost like we say this, you know, you work, it's really flexible. You work like uh, maybe 40, 60 hours a week but then you choose what 60 hours you want to work or like what 40 hours you want to work. Mm, so, yeah. so, but then you it can be flexible, but you still need to be disciplined. And yeah. then someday you work, you end up working more than the regular work yeah. hours. Yeah, and how do you sort of like plan your day? Like, are you someone who likes to, I don't know, do all your teaching in the morning and then have the afternoon? Or are you an early bird? Or are you a night owl? How does how this do you good, design? This it? is a good question. You know, most I would not call myself early bird, <laughs> and I'm not night owl either. Wow, normal so, person. Uh, <laughs> so almost like normal. But then again, regarding teaching and research, uh, we don't get. I, at least I haven't had the opportunity to choose, because most of my courses are during daytime. Yeah. Uh, at least I would prefer them to be like sometime in the evening. But then again, when you're teaching two two courses, then you have a tutorial to teach. So that definitely doesn't fit into your time slot. But then in terms of research, I'm, I feel like I'm more productive during the morning or in the late afternoon. So mm. th that's where I feel more productive. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And then let's talk a bit more about your research interest. So how would you describe what your research interest is? So uh, in my PhD program, I started with, like, you know, as I mentioned earlier, with the goal of learning tools and techniques and methods started to attract me quite a lot, the quantitative methods, and I started to learn methods. And in my PhD program, I started to uh, apply these methods in different contexts. So it's more like my research interest started from methodological applications, yeah. like where we can apply it. Started with the working with the text data, and then I still find, like, it's quite interesting to apply the text analytics methods like like how you can apply these tools in different contexts for different kind of research and then whenever I see it's more like I, I think of in terms of data and methods but nowadays I've started to learn that it's more about like the phenomena or problem mm. that's more interesting and you need to learn those uh, those be more mindful of like what kind of problem you're addressing and what area you're looking into and it's not just methods and data, but it's more about like overall bigger picture. Oh. So I have started, to, I'm looking to, I have started to look into social media analytics domain yeah. mostly. So now my research are focused on there. And then I have another stream of research that's called Science of Science. It's almost like 
uh, applying uh, natural language processing tools for yeah. like analyzing scientific literature and text data. So those are the two research streams I'm, that I'm working on right now. And then there are friendly projects where you have friends and people you like and you just want to collaborate with them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So we're nearly at the end of the podcast. Just a few more quick questions. So the deep question that you've been dreading. Vikesh, yeah. what do you think the meaning of life is in your opinion? That's a really good question. The day I know this meaning of life, I would be a very good philosopher. Yeah. <laughs> so I would give a good competition to the Greek philosophers. <laughs> But what about Vikesh right now, 2023? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, you know. Mm. Uh, you, if you start to think what is life, it's really hard to put. But now how, how I see is like, you know, life is like, you know, it's moving in travel later. You go yeah. in one direction. Yeah. No matter if you want, if you don't want, it keeps on moving. Yeah. And there's a fixed starting point, fixed ending point. Yeah. And that it's all about what you can do in between just yeah. to keep yourself engaged and feel good about yourself, adding value to the society, yeah. or having some, some kind of achievement, working to get, achieve something, or whatever drives you. Yeah. So it's more about like, it's between the starting and ending point when you're in travel later, it's all about keeping yourself happy, yeah. content, yeah. and then you should feel good about yourself when you, everything ends. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and do you have any advice for your younger self slash any regrets? Oh, yes. I had a lot of breaks and gaps in my education career. I, I wish I was smarter in picking up things, <laughs> more proactive. Yeah. Let's say, I would say more proactive. And yeah, that, that, that's all. You see, I, I usually try to think and then correct myself already over the course of time because I always keep on reflect and yeah. think what what I should have done better or where I could have done better. Yeah. But then I, I wish I could I would be more productive and more disciplined. Yeah. <laughs> I think all of us do. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So Bikesh, if you won the lottery tomorrow and finances were not a concern, what would you do differently about your life? What would you change? Yeah, definitely look uh, I, if I win a lottery and I don't have finance con constraint, I might take a week off just to think what to do with that money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you because, would. <laughs> because you need to spend it wisely, right? Yeah. The first thing that comes to my mind is that I would keep in fixed deposit and then just just start working with, you know, for one year fixed deposit, work on interest and then plan everything what to do with that money. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. At least I would not be tempted to spend it right away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You want to, you know, have a sit down and think before you get too excited. Too excited, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. And the final question is, what is an ideal day in the life for you? It can be work-related, it can be non-work-related, etc. The, uh, the best ideal day in my life is that when I get more up in the morning, I feel really good. I had a yeah. good sleep. Yes. Feel fresh. Uh, strong coffee in the morning <laughs> definitely yeah. and more productive work like in the first half of the day yeah. and let's say a beautiful evening spent with my family talking yeah. to friend and going out for dinner with my wife and spending yeah. evening with her yeah. you know, with family and like spending time with family 
that uh, that would be uh, my ideal day you know i would be really like work for shorter hour but be extremely productive yeah and then spend more time with families and friends and do things like you love just have a half an hour one hour window for sports that's all yeah yeah that's yeah. awesome hope you're going to do that soon yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. so yeah. we at the end of the podcast want to say bye yeah thank bye. you karen and bye <laughs> thank so you maybe you. another in another podcast yeah a follow-up comment yeah. down below right yes. <laughs> okay bye, bye.